0: Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure.
1: Hello, channel pros. Thank you for listening. This is Rob Spee, your host and founder of Channel Journeys, and this is episode 46. This week I have a special guest. It's her second appearance on Channel Journeys. She's been working secretly on a new venture since we last spoke and just announced the launch of her new channel marketing automation company. And before we get to today's guest, I want to talk about my sponsor, the Channel Institute. Channel marketing has always been a difficult area for us in the channel. We really don't have enough professional channel marketers, and not enough partners have channel expertise. Well, the Channel Institute is tackling that problem head-on with two online channel marketing courses that are great for both channel marketing professionals at vendor companies, as well as for marketing professionals or those who are responsible for marketing at your partner firms so the first is a certificate in channel marketing and here you can learn all the fundamentals and best practices in things like creating a value proposition doing campaign planning and how to measure your marketing return on investment the second course is a certificate in digital co-marketing this really builds on the first course with best practices in building and running digital campaigns from everything like lead nurturing to leveraging content and social media So, two great channel marketing courses where you can get your certifications. And we've got a special offer for you, Channel Journey listeners, that I will tell you about at the end of today's show. All right. So, let's talk about our guest. Our channel maven is none other than Heather Margolis. And you heard her first on episode 15 Five Ways to Improve Your Channel Marketing. And if you didn't hear that one, go back and listen to it. It's a great episode. In today's episode, you're going to hear some engaging conversation on the evolution of channel marketing. We talk about what you need to start doing and perhaps even more importantly, what you need to stop doing. We also talk about her foray into the channel marketing automation business with her new business, Spark Your Channel. Are you guys ready? Let's go. Hey, Heather. Good afternoon, I guess it is. Welcome back to Channel Journeys.
0: Thanks so much for having me again, Rob. I feel very privileged to be back.
1: You should feel very privileged. <laughs> <laughs> You're only my second guest to come back yet. Jay was the first. So he beat you to it, but
0: Jay tends to be the first at most things when it's in the channel. So, I'll let him have it.
1: We'll let him have it, but uh you are a very close second. Thank you so much for coming back. You know, I was checking when was it? It was back in April of last year. Yes. You were episode 15 in my podcast. Wow. Yeah. The early days of Channel Journeys. And
0: what episode will this be now?
1: Good question. I think it'll be 46, I believe.
0: Great. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. It's been great to see all of the amazing exposure you're getting and so many cool people and I'm psyched for you. Channel Journeys is definitely making its mark.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a ton of fun. I get a lot of great feedback from listeners and I've met so many fun and interesting people th- by doing this too. So it, it's been fantastic. You know, I, I was going back and listening to our your first podcast, and it's funny because towards the end, you mentioned that there might be something brewing.
0: <laughs>
1: I had no idea what it was, but now we have a clue.
0: Now everyone knows.
1: Now everyone knows that you were about ready to, to spark something up.
0: Yes. I launched a second company, totally separate entity from Channel Maven. It's called Spark Your Channel. And we really are focused on helping partners drive demand with their vendors by leveraging multimedia content and their own marketing automation tools.
1: So I want to dive into that, but let's push that back a little bit because I want to perhaps take a look back. And you got started with Channel Maven 11 years ago or so. 11
0: March 1st is our anniversary. So 11 years ago.
1: Wow. Coming up really soon. And social media was coming on the scene. I think you were really big on the social side of helping people leverage social media for channel marketing. But I want to take a journey of, of demand gen and, you know, kind of how it's progressed since then. And there might be still some tried and true channel marketing that we still do. Probably, probably a lot of the old school stuff just doesn't fit anymore. And people might still be trying it and wondering why they're not getting any results. And then what's new on the scene too, which I think will lead to why you created Spark in the first place.
0: Absolutely. So I think there have been evolutions happening at the same time. The first with the channel is a decade ago, we were all talking about the cloud and moving to the cloud. And that has completely changed the way we drive demand with partners. So A VAR is, was more than happy to co brand a piece of content, whereas a managed service provider isn't. They want to talk about their services and they're not talking about the vendors they work with or the hardware that their solution is built on. They're really talking about themselves. So co branding does not exist when it comes to MSPs. They don't want to slap their logo on something that is 90% the vendor's content. The other evolution, of course, is the evolution of demand gen. So 10 years ago we were more willing to open an email and give it some thought and now if i get an email from someone i don't know i'm deleting it before it's even you know settled into my inbox so it it really tends to be more about connecting on social and having a relationship with someone based on your reputation and and what you do know about and there's also been an evolution with content so instead of reading a 15-page white paper we are watching you know under 2 minute videos that are educating us more about what's going on with our industry the line of business manager is also now the decision maker so instead of speeds and feeds and pretty pictures of storage arrays. We're talking about content and talking about business outcome within our content and how that business outcome is going to help the line of business manager. So the HR person wants employee retention. The finance team wants higher revenue, lower costs. The marketing team wants more engagement. The sales team wants more revenue. So it really, all of our content needs to talk more about a business outcome, which may mean having multiple pieces of content from multiple different vendors that the partner can put their customization around and then send out in their own marketing automation tool, because partners, believe it or not, are getting better at marketing, and have their own marketing automation tools. At the very least, they can afford something like MailChimp or HubSpot, which under 2,000 connections or contacts is free.
1: Heather, finally, the channel's getting a clue about marketing?
0: finally. Well, and I think some of it is forced, right? We have all these new email regulations, GDPR and the California Consumer Privacy Act, which are making it so that unless you want your partners getting fines, you need to make sure that they are driving demand the right way and sending email the right way.
1: All right. So you gave four big items of evolution. Can we break those down a little bit? Sure. All right. So co-branding doesn't fit. Now, co-branding, that's been the the staple of of through partner marketing, right? You, you put up your, your cheat sheets, your, your flyers, whatever, and you just, Hey partner, put your logo on it and send it out. Exactly. Is that dead?
0: Well, I think it should be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're ready to kill it.
0: Yeah. Big time. I think some vendors are still doing that. I can tell you 15 years ago, I was working with clients and and before that doing it myself, where we would literally take a campaign that we had already sent out direct and just make a little space here. There's some white space. Let's put the partner's logo there and their contact info down here. And more than ever, the customer cares less about the vendor and their reputation and cares more about the company they're actually doing business with. So, putting content together that talks about a business outcome that doesn't have the vendor's branding necessarily, maybe there's a small logo, but it doesn't look like it came off their website and has the overarching value proposition, not just, you know, award winning storage company or, or, you know, best in class servers. It's much more about what business outcome is that end customer looking for? And how can the vendor put content together that the partner is willing to use? Because it's great if you talk about your brand and your messaging, but if the partners refuse to use it, nobody's going to see it anyway. So you just wasted $2 million on a platform and content that no one's using.
1: So for the partner, that's a big challenge because it used to be, well, I know a lot of partners like, what do you do? Well, I'm an IBM business partner. Mm -hmm. Well, what makes you different? Well, I'm the best IBM business partner.
0: Right. In Miami.
1: (laughs) In Miami. (laughs) But this is putting a lot of onus on the partners then to come up with that value add. What's their value prop?
0: Listen, we work with partners all day, every day, in addition to our vendor clients. And I know that some of them are still behind the eight ball a little bit, but demand gen in general is much easier than it used to be for a couple of reasons. One, we're changing our habits. So the solution provider who is in their fifties or sixties and owns a business and they have maybe two employees. They're still on Facebook all day, every day, looking at the grandkids and, and their kids. So their habits of being more adept online are improving. We also see a lot of these platforms getting stupid simple. Like I could put HubSpot in front of just about anybody and they would be able to figure out how to send a mass email.
1: Well, I figured it out. So there are
0: <laughs> Case in point.
1: <laughs> exactly. All right. So email marketing. People are not opening up their emails. GDPR has made it really hard to, to have a list that you can send out with, get, without getting or being at risk of getting fined. So what does email marketing look like today? Where does it fit?
0: It's farther down the funnel. So email marketing used to be the first line of defense. You would send an email to 10,000 people and whoever opened it or downloaded your content would then get a phone call. It's more about social nurturing first. So if you do purchase a list, which I'm not a huge advocate of, but I know sometimes we have to, first connect with those prospects on LinkedIn and start nurturing the content by sharing relevant content and articles and videos. Videos are huge. And being able to prove to them that you're someone that they should tune into and do do more business with. Then asking people to opt in because... You want to make sure you're complying with all of the new regulations. And then instead of sending an email to 10,000 people, maybe you're sending an email to 1,200 people, but they're the right 1,200 people. And they have raised their hand to say, yes, I'm interested.
1: And you'll probably have more opens and clicks on those 1,200 than you did with the 10,000.
0: Exactly. Yep.
1: Yeah. I've I've tried that before. (laughs) It (laughs) doesn't work. All right. Content. So does the old content, you know, writing articles, blog articles, that type of thing. Is there still a place for that or is it we should just focus on video?
0: No, I love blogs. I think blogs are great. I think it's it's a good way to transfer a lot of information. So you need to think about your audience. If you're trying to talk to salespeople, they are not sitting down to read 800 word blog. And by the way, blogs have gotten shorter. So we're now saying five to 600 words for a blog, but have it heavy with links to more information. So if you're talking about IoT, you can link out to articles about IoT as opposed to redefining everything that everyone's already said a million times. I think content like a 15-page white paper, yeah, that probably is no longer relevant as a demand gen piece. I think mm-hmm. once you have someone as a customer and they're, depending on their IT team's knowledge of your solution, they may want something super robust like that. But probably not. Probably a three to five-page white paper or um, ebook with lots and lots of pictures and links to more information and maybe even a video embedded at the beginning of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Is that a good, what we used to call a lead magnet?
0: So I have taken down all of the gates on Channel Maven's website because in 11 years, with all of the content that we had where we were asking people to fill out forms, we probably in 11 years probably got a thousand downloads. Every single one received a email from us saying, reach out if you have more information. And then two weeks later received another, hey, how was the ebook? Never once did we get a lead from there. But when we took the gates off and just in general for having all of our free blog content, people would reach out to us and say, I read all of your content and all of your blogs and I want to have a conversation. But it was never tied to us reaching out to them. I think if you're going to do inbound, you really need to commit to it and be okay that you don't know who's reading your content. And that's all right, because if they really need you, they will reach out.
1: Interesting. Really interesting. I, I bet there are a lot of people out there who still have those gates up thinking that's going to that's required to to get that lead and, right. and be able to follow up on it. Yeah. And and that probably goes to how we do our research these days, whether we're consumers, business or personal consumers. We don't want people tracking us down just because we wanted to read about a product or a something out there.
0: I can almost hear people's eyes rolling in the back of their head when I hit send on that email that says, thanks for downloading our ebook. Let us know if you have any questions. <laughs>
1: All right. And then the line of business manager is many more times the the decision maker, the CMO, the whatever it is, CFO or VP of sales. So that's, how is that changing demand gen?
0: It, it used to be, first of all, things like website syndication, when we used to syndicate our vendor websites out to all of the partners. You know, I worked for a very large storage company early in my career, and I owned that program. So we used a platform where we would pull all of our website content into a hub, and then we would let partners syndicate that onto their website within a container page. We went like 20 pages deep, and the today and that worked then because people were shopping on websites and looking at pictures of storage arrays, which, by the way, still sexy if you're in IT. But if you're a line of business manager, you look at that and think, I don't care what it looks like. I'm never going to see it. So for the line of business managers, it's much more about what's their business outcome going to be. Their team's going to sing Kumbaya every Friday morning, and their customers are going to be thrilled and send them more business, and they're going to make greater revenue and much lower cost. That speaks to business outcomes that technology helps to support versus... I love my technology. Like no one's going into the data center and hugging their storage array.
1: I remember that content syndication and it was just all the speeds and feeds and product pictures and technical jargon and stuff. That And
0: every month they would give us metrics. Look, four people were on one of your partner's website. And I'd say, great, yeah. which partner? And they'd say, no, 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 no. Across all of the partners you give it to, four people is their site. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's good?
1: Yeah, maybe not so much. Not so much. So What other things maybe people can stop doing these days from a partner demand gen perspective?
0: I think helping your partners, one thing they should stop doing is forcing their partners to email their audience multiple, multiple times. So Mm -hmm. when we talk about marketing and demand gen best practices, we talk about first nurturing on social and then sending out an email. And within that email, there's great content and education and request to opt in. And from there, you can start sending a newsletter or something to that effect. When we're forcing our partners, partners today work with 10 at a minimum different vendors. If they're having to send one email with one piece of content from each of those 10 vendors to the same exact audience, so that audience is getting 10 emails, we are teaching partners the absolute wrong way to do demand generation.
1: So I'm kind of embarrassed because it wasn't that long ago that we had the marketing automation tool set up with, here's your campaign in a box, and it's got you know the seven emails that you're going to send out, one per week, and we've carefully scripted it for you to to maximize response. Right. It didn't It didn't really work that well.
0: It doesn't because what you're doing is training the prospect or the end customer that when they see that email from that partner, they know to delete it. Like I know every one of us does. We wake up in the morning and we know which emails to delete Yep. without even opening them. And you are basically training your... Pro- maybe they open the first one. Maybe they open the second one. But when they realize that it's not super targeted to them and it's not personalized, it looks like the vendor, even though the partner is sending it, you're training that prospect to delete it. So I bet I haven't done this, but some of my friends who are numbers geeks, if you're listening to this, let me know. I bet if we looked at open and click through rates, if there was a spike early on for that partner's list, it totally diminished after five weeks of that.
1: You know what the funny thing is heather i I have those emails that I come in every morning and i and I know which ones to delete, but I don't unsubscribe
0: yeah, I mean that's a I'm the exact same way that's a laziness thing for me. I think some <laughs> of it is. I read the headline and if it seems like it's something new or interesting, then I will read it. I'm trying to think of like one of my, oh, I should read that. But yeah, otherwise um, it's just laziness to actually have, it's so much easier to swipe your thumb across it on your smartphone than it is to open it, go to unsubscribe, click unsubscribe, tell them why you're unsubscribing, tell them it's okay. And that, you know, you're not mad at them, but please don't ever email me again.
1: Well, we should we should point out there's a big difference, though, because if you get an email from Channel Maven, from Channel Journeys, from Spark Your yes, Channel... read those. You have to read those. <laughs> but I
0: think you and I are pretty... First of all, we both post on social as well. So if someone does want to unsubscribe from our email, they're still going to see it on social if they want to. Yes. And we send out one email per month. That is it.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty sparse. So you're, you're communicating...
0: It's a newsletter and it's aggregating all of the information that we would be sharing over the course of the month.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes, I I send out a, well, now it's bi-weekly. The only newsletter I have is, Hey, here's the latest podcast, which, which I do every two weeks. I don't do anything beyond that.
0: But I think too, I mean, you're doing the right things. You're then posting it on social. You're, you're someone who's recognized. I think it's different for a partner. So our vendors, when they communicate to partners, partners have more than just opted in, they have bet their business on your solutions and products. So when you're in channel marketing and you're marketing to your partners, your open rates are and click-through rates are going to be much healthier than when you are saying to a partner, here's some great content, go email everyone you know. Those emails are definitely sales emails and they're going to get deleted.
1: So this makes me wonder, as a vendor, what the heck can I do to help my partner? Because if these old ways, these old tried and true techniques don't work that we've been doing for years and years, what what can I do as a vendor? What should I be doing as a vendor to, to help these partners, even though they're starting to get some marketing prowess they mm-hmm. they still need help from us and support from us
0: they do, and I would actually advocate for more human intervention and less money being spent on a platform. I think it's important that partners have access to multimedia content that's video webcast, podcasts that they can customize. So we used to, a decade ago, give partners a quote unquote webinar in a box. And when we were giving them a webinar in a box, there was an invite, there was a thank, you know, don't forget to join. There was a sorry, we missed you and a thanks for attending. we both of which got the link sent back partners have no platforms to be able to host 100 people on a webinar. They don't feel confident enough to be the MC. They're not Rob Spee. They can't just get on and and have the radio voice and start talking about the business pain points and outcomes that the prospect wants. So being able to give the partners a webcast or a podcast that they could at least do an intro and outro or or customize somehow is super beneficial. So that the partners can then post it out to social, send it off in a one-off email to somebody they've been talking to, send it out in a text. As they're walking out of a customer meeting, they should be able to, to text that customer and say, here's that video I was talking about. So really being able to give them that multimedia content, but then also supporting them with a concierge or their channel account managers or their field marketing managers where they can... Post uh, send multiple pieces of content out via email. So if partners have their own marketing automation tool, like a MailChimp or Constant Contact, or even CRM tool like HubSpot and Salesforce, showing them how to set up an email that they can send out with multiple pieces of content. Here's a video from Google, and here's a one-pager from Ribbon, and here's a, a three-page ebook from NetApp that all talk about the same pain points and business outcomes that's how we're really going to support partners in driving demand
1: is is there video content that a vendor can provide that a partner can use cuz you talked about you know co-branding why reasons why that's not working so well is there a, is there any type of can video they could use
0: i think the vendors content needs to be more about the pain point and less about them as a vendor and their messaging so some of our vendors do a great job talking about let's say business continuity and the whole video is about why business continuity is so important and and use cases like a blizzard. That's a that's something when we think business continuity we think like disaster. A blizzard or a flood or anything that Customer might be going through where that's important, and the whole video plays, and not once do they mention themselves. Maybe there's like a little logo at the end, but it really becomes about the customer and it or about the partner. And if the customer really wants help, they're going to reach out to that partner as long as the partner's information is somewhere in that video.
1: Do you have any other stories of kind of like excellence in modern demand gen examples of what you're seeing?
0: So I think if you look at with partner demand generation spend as a bar graph where everything's piled on top of, so you have your through marketing automation tool, you have your content creation, you have your marketing concierge or channel account managers, and you have things like MDF spend as well. I think we need to sort of flip less on platform, more on on human intervention, so the the content, um, the concierge, the the channel account manager, but then also turning things with MDF from instead of golf events. Can we please stop doing golf events? And <laughs>
1: hey, I'm going to one in a few weeks. Come yeah, on, yeah, I
0: bet, and I bet you're <laughs> not paying for it because somebody's using their MDF. And flip that to helping the partners use account based marketing and retargeting and search engine optimization and use MDF to pay for their marketing automation tool so that they are compliant with all these different regulations. And they're not, they're not alienating all of the people that they're trying to communicate to by logging in and out of 10 different marketing automation tools.
1: You mentioned account-based marketing. Has that come to the channel? Are you seeing partners starting to do that?
0: Yeah, I think we've seen, we've had a couple of hiccups and we're trying to figure out what that looks like. So account based marketing is obviously pretty expensive. Enabling all of your partners to be able to do that is a huge challenge. So two ways that it can be done. Either you decide and designate certain partners get to focus on certain verticals. So, you know, this large national partner is going to focus on financial services in the country. This small regional partner is going to focus on healthcare in Florida. So designating that the money that you are spending is going to different partners differently. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we have seen a lot and and we also have implemented a couple of times is the vendor does a mass ABM campaign. So they're spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on on ABM, knowing that they are giving those leads to partners who have done X. So like right. if we see that our partners are active, they're doing demand gen with us, they're spending their MDF intelligently, we will then give them leads that come out of this ABM campaign.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's closer to what we're doing as well. Okay. So you've outlined a evolution of demand gen. Let's get to why you thought there was a need for a new Marketing automation solution. What led you to start this new venture, spark your channel?
0: We just kept talking to our vendors who years before we had suggested a bunch of different through channel marketing automation tools to, and they would say our usage is horrible and we don't know how to increase usage. So then I went out and talked to probably at this point, you know, it's been almost a year, probably a hundred different Partners and said, Why aren't you using these platforms? And they told us, I have my own marketing automation tool. I don't want to load my list somewhere else. It's more about the vendor, less about the business outcome. Um, Or I just don't have the resources or bandwidth. That seems so complicated. Like there are so many steps and so many pieces. So that's what sparked the idea, pun intended.
1: (laughs) And You've just launched this. What, what's different about your approach? There, there are a lot of different marketing automation tools that are out there. What, what are you doing differently?
0: The first is we allow partners to customize or personalize multimedia content. So the partner puts an intro and an outro on video webinars and podcasts. The challenge has always been if the partner sends a vendor video, the person never looks at it right when they get it, whether it's on social or via email. And we were finding that a lot of leads were, go, were going back to the vendor. So if they sent a video from Google that they had no contact info except in the email, the prospect would go back into Google's website and it would become a direct lead. So the partners were able to customize multimedia content. There is also no email. So they can customize an email inside of Spark Your Channel, but they're not sending email from there. Our customer success team is helping them get up, getting up and running on their own marketing automation tool or they have their own marketing automation tool already and we are helping them hyperlink to the content. So another thing we heard a lot from our vendor clients, well, our partners log in, they customize something, they download it and they take it to their own marketing automation tool. And I said, great, how do you track what happens then? And they they can't. They can only track how many downloads the partner is doing. So we have the ability to track the number of opens and clicks from piece of content that they are using. So they can put it anywhere. They can put it in a newsletter or an email or out on social. And we can still show the vendor how many clicks that piece of content is getting.
1: And so that the partner could could curate content from multiple vendors and create their own content and then kind of merge it all together into one piece.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: Is your customer the partner, the vendor, or are you targeting both?
0: Our customer, the person who's paying for this is the vendor, but we are 100% creating Spark with the partner in mind. That's mm-hmm. That's been the challenge, I think, in the past is that the platforms aren't thinking about the partner's business and making sure that their business practices are benefiting their overall long-term goals.
1: Interesting. So um, you mentioned like a podcast. So is that something vendors should be thinking about, creating short little podcast clips that their partners could use and put intros and outros around?
0: Yes, absolutely. And that it's also great exposure for the vendor direct content. So if I'm a CMO who's creating all of this great content that my channel marketing team is asking me to partnerize, but then it never gets used. I have challenges with that. Now there's even more exposure. So, you know, with a podcast, there's an intro and outro. The partner could say, listen to Rob Spee and Heather Margolis talk about XYZ and then contact me directly if you have any questions.
1: Right. Interesting. Have you seen vendors doing this yet?
0: The ones we're working with? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Because that, that's, I love podcasting, but I don't know that I've seen it being used as a marketing tool like that. I think that's cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's thought leadership content. People are more apt to listen to a podcast than they are to sit and and watch a video if they're in the car, if they're, I mean, I know anytime get in the car and know I'm going to be in the car for more than 30 minutes. I'm looking through my podcast feed to see what I want to listen to.
1: Yeah. And if it was really relevant content to that line of business owner, doesn't have to mention product at all, but something that's really interesting to them. Yep. I, I could see that being very successful. Okay so podcast video content vendors could be creating short video clips that the, the partners do an intro to outro to that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's probably the most exciting use case when we walk partners through it that they could have some sort of either an explainer video or a high level business outcome video that their vendors put together and the vendor spent you know three to seven thousand dollars on instead of them having to spend that for them to be able to put that intro outro and talk about themselves briefly and give their contact info before it plays is super exciting.
1: What about social media? Is there a social aspect to your, this new engine that you're creating?
0: There is. So they can one-click post to social. So if they have their social hooked up to Spark, it'll just post out once they've customized it. And then we have a roadmap. So Q1, end of Q1, early Q2, we will also have social syndication.
1: Gotcha. Okay, cool. So Spark, I like the name. How'd you come up with that? Thanks,
0: This is funny. We I think the the spark aspect, we of course, you go look at URLs and see what you can find. Right. Um, initially, we were talking about igniting the power of the partners and we were trying to think of things that lended themselves to that. Spark, I honestly don't remember when that came about, but the logo, there is a local artist here in Boulder named Will Day. And we walked into his studio, my in-laws were visiting, they love art. They love like searching out the artists who are in the, you know, big industrial park or, you know, big mills that no one knows about. And we walked into his studio and there was a, it must've been 10 feet by five feet piece of art that was blues and purples. And it almost looked like the horizon had exploded. Like it was just amazing. And I sent that to our designer and I said, that's our logo. <laughs> and the spark came out of that. So you'll see there are blues and purples and yellows and yeah.
1: Very cool. All right. So what haven't we, what haven't I asked you about spark? Is there, is there more that you want folks to know about it?
0: I, I really want people to think of this as one of the many aspects that are going to help demand gen work together. So I see us integrating with PRM and portal. We're already integrated with a couple of PRMs out there. I see us integrating with MDF platforms. I see us integrating with other through channel marketing automation tools. If they don't have the video capability and the vendor still really wants email, I think the price point is so much lower than anything else out there that I think it is totally the type of thing that can just be added to the mix.
1: So what, what is the business model? Is it a monthly subscription? How do, you, how do you price it?
0: No, it's annual, but it starts pretty low. And then we've also partnered with a lot of companies out there that provide concierge service. So we have a customer success team, but we have also partnered with some other concierges out there because I want to shift the budget. If you're spending $2 million on through channel demand gen, I want there to be less on the platform, more on the human element of it so that it can be really custom to partners, exactly what they need when they need it.
1: Do you have any recommended percentages, like how much should be spent on content versus the human human element?
0: We will. I'm actually doing a presentation. And by the time this airs, we'll have done that presentation B2B MX. And I can share that at the at this at that time.
1: Okay, excellent. Yeah, you don't want to give away the... Right. <laughs> All right, cool. Anything else you want to add?
0: No, I'm super excited. We've had the feedback from vendors, partners, and strategic partners are, has been amazing. And I, this is such a, an unbelievable community having come into this community in my 20s and now not in my 20s. <laughs> it's just so incredibly supportive. And thanks to everyone who listened to me vent or go off on a tangent and and pull me back down to earth. Being an entrepreneur is no is not for the faint of heart and this has been a pretty intense experience different than Channel Maven but amazing and really exciting.
1: It's not for the faint of heart. It's not easy and and now you're a double entrepreneur. So right. wow, that's kudos to you. I will
0: say I have I'm still involved in Channel Maven at a very high level, but I am so incredibly lucky that I have such a great team. Jen Reed, who anyone who's ever worked with us knows Jen, stepped into the COO seat, which I kind of forced her into, but she is jumping in and running with it and totally psyched. So I could not do this if I didn't have such a strong team on the Channel Maven side.
1: No, kudos to them. That's fantastic. Well, Heather, you know, what when I interview folks, I like to get to know them a bit and ask personal questions sometimes. And I love we, it. <laughs> we found out some interesting things about you that you you actually like to work on cars. I do. Your husband has a chocolate business. Yeah. I know you like to ski. Have you been skiing yet this winter?
0: I haven't. So I haven't skied in probably six years between ankle surgery and little kiddos, but I'm looking forward to getting back into it next year. Oh, and I started a company. So, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Somehow that might have kept you busy. That might have been. Well, is there anything else we don't know about, Heather, that that we might want to hear about? Is
0: there anything else? Man. I mean... I am very proud Bostonian and Masshole if we can say that on on a podcast. You
1: I think you were the first person who told me that word and I've yeah. been checking I've been checking with all my Massachusetts friends and I
0: I'm proud of it. I mean, it means I know how to drive. It means I don't take anything any you know what from anyone. Yeah, I don't I feel like I've gotten a lot less interesting since having started Spark. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: it's just such a funny term all right what about i know you've been running businesses you don't have time for vacations but in sometime in your life what was the best vacation best adventure you went on
0: so we actually intentionally just went away last last week the week before we've been going to punta mita mexico
1: punta mita
0: yeah it's you fly into puerto vallarta and it's about 40 minutes from puerto vallarta Wow, so it's beautiful and relaxing, and it wasn't as sunny this year as it has been in the past, but as one of the guys who works there was kept saying to us, "Whatever the planet needs, man." <laughs> so it rained a couple of days, but we he put that spin on it and and we were okay with it,
1: so I've been to Port of Arda numerous times. Is this less developed?
0: Yes, much. And there are like three big resorts, and then like condos and, and houses that you could rent. So we go to a resort where we, um, my husband gets a lot of benefits from traveling so much, as do I. So lots of points and yeah, it's very relaxing. You feel very taken care of.
1: I love that area. Back when, I guess in college timeframe, we, we used to go down to like Mazatlan and Puerto Vallarta. We had fantastic trips down there.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. And Super friendly and super just catering to your every need. Unfortunately, my daughter actually got sick and we had a doctor at our hotel room in 30 minutes, oh, which no. in the U S would have, she was fine. It was croup that evolved. She's two. So they get sick. Yep. But in the U S that would have cost like what? $2,000 to have a doctor come to your door. And it was under
1: $200. Man. Yeah. man, That's awesome. Punta Mita, I, I got to look that up.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I highly recommend it, but don't tell everyone because no, like, no. not that we're telling everyone on the podcast because then it'll be overrun.
1: Well, that's the way I feel about Portugal. So, yes, you know, I joined OutSystems. They're based in Lisbon. I've been going over there. We just did our partner kickoff um, in this little town called Cascais outside of Lisbon. And it's such a jewel, but don't tell anyone about it.
0: I won't. I promise.
1: <laughs> Keep it a secret. Exactly. All right. Well, Heather, congratulations on Thank the launch of, of Spark Your Channel. So cool. I really hope that you are super successful with it. Oh, and people can go, what's the website that they need to go to?
0: It is sparkyourchannel.com and be sure to go to the solution area and check out our great videos.
1: You got a great video. I, I saw it. I liked we it. You
0: better have a great video, right? If we're promoting videos, marketing.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And if they're interested, do you have What's the, the model? You have a demo? Or how, do they, how do they get to know the, the solution?
0: There's been a ton of interest, even in stealth mode. So we're just trying to be really cautious with our time and, and making sure that the vendors we're talking to understand the benefit of helping you know, flipping this model a little bit. So it yeah. is a demo. We are pretty exclusive and restrictive on who we'll give a demo to, but we want to make sure that it's the right thing for their business.
1: All right. Excellent. Well, Heather, people know how to find you. Thanks again. Congratulations. Thanks for being back on the show and can't wait to track to see how you're doing with this.
0: Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone.
1: All right. Bye-bye. All right. There you go, guys. Some great tips from Heather, especially what we need to stop doing like the classic 10 stage email campaigns. And I'm eager to try out these new co-marketing techniques like podcasts and video clips, eager to see how those work out with the channel. And if you want to learn more about channel marketing, head on over to thechannelinstitute.com and check out those two channel marketing courses I mentioned at the beginning of the show, and you'll get an immediate 10% discount off the courses and really any course just by entering the discount code Journeys2020 at checkout. Well, that's it for today. You can find all the show notes at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ46. There you can also subscribe to our show and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss a single episode. And also, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. That would be very helpful. I will see you next time on Channel Journeys when we're gonna jump over to the partner side. I'll be speaking with Peter Wolf about how he transformed his service business into the subscription model. Until then, have an awesome Channel Journey.
0: Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.